Before I uh, preach today, we've been talking about rediscovering church and what it means to be the church. And this morning, I actually wanted to ask some of you to share. Here's what I'd like you to share. I'd like you to share what you're hearing, what what you're learning. Um, I'd also like some of you to share how what the scripture has to say about church has impacted you as we talked about the church being a family being a building, building blocks, so on and so forth. And so I give you an opportunity to share. And it has to be short, quick, sweet, straight to the point. So just stand up, and a couple of our guys with mics will run to you, find you. Okay? You need to stand so we can see you. Okay, Keziah. Good morning, everyone. Short and brief, we had a very, very rough year, the roughest we've ever seen financially. Um, I lost my job. We lost numerous things because of that, but the people of God came together, provided meals after we had the baby. Um, I mean, just countless, countless, countless blessings that they poured into our household, and it really gave the fullness of what is being taught um, throughout this series. It really just showed what the Christian family is to be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for being the church. That's Keziah, by the way, so everybody gets to know Keziah, okay? Anybody else? Stand up. Just stand up. last three months have been like terrible my hours got cut to like 10 hours a week as opposed to 40 um and I couldn't pay my bills and people from this church people I don't know people that I do know um paid for them and that's never happened to me before but I was just so grateful and it taught me what God's grace really looks like um from his body and that it's to cover not just my sins but to get through life Thank you again for being the church. Alex, over back there. Daddy, apparently nobody likes you over here on this side. Come on. Hey, these two, give them some love, okay? I know some of y'all want to give daddy some love, okay? He needs to be loved. Okay, go ahead, Alex. I just want to say it was a great reminder of who the church is. So it's been a great reminder of that. Thank you, Alex. Okay. All right. Okay, go ahead. That shows through the through this sermon series that where two or three are gathered and he is always in the midst and all things are possible through Christ who strengthens us. So when we try to do things by ourselves, we don't get the result that we expect. But when we do things as a family, as a group, we can accomplish some things. We can break some things. So for me, that's what it represents. Amen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's have like a couple more minutes to do this. So if you wanted to, okay, over here, over here. well it's inspired me to get connected in the church because together we are so much more than we are alone amen i love how articulate our church is straight to the point you know unlike your pastor who takes forever to say what he's trying to say okay (laughs) who else who else anybody don't be shy Anybody up in the balcony? I know y'all like to be left alone. That's why you sit up there. Anybody up in the balcony? <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Through the series, I'm learning really what church means. I never knew what okay. church okay. really means. We need to hear. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm learning what church really means, the true meaning of the word. Yes. And everything that goes with church like yeah. helping out yes. and you know introducing yourself and yes. the diversity that yes. is here it just blows me away yes. and the energy that's here yes i've never felt that at any other church 
so, you know, I, I really love coming mm. and hearing people's testimonies yes. and, you know, how God really, really works in us all. Yes. You know, so thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We moved here five years ago uh, from Ohio, and we knew Shannon and Mike, and that was it. Um, but God was here before we were here, and he brought us to a family of people that we know and we love. And sometimes we forget that, that, that this is our family. This isn't just a place where we serve or where we, where we attend on Sundays. And, and this service or, or this, this series has reminded me that, that we are part of a church family, that, that the, the service and the Sunday morning stuff is secondary to what God has called us to do throughout the week together. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I can just honestly say I've, um, I've only been here for a short time. And I've never felt like a stranger here, honestly. I never felt like I was visiting. I always felt like um, family, like a guest, like I was coming just coming in and, and visiting family and, and worshiping alongside family. So that's what the church is. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? One more person. i let you have the last word. One more. Angela, go ahead. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, for me, coming from the world to the church, I didn't have a perspective of the church. It's only what I saw people doing in church. So I thought church was a bunch of shouting and this and that. That's what I thought church was. I had no idea that the church was such a big magnitude. So this series has shifted my perspective of the church to God's perspective of the church. Yes. Thank you. Anybody here on this side? One more person on this side. Give that here some love. Anybody? Anybody? One more person. Okay. Oh, that is that mic is going dead, by the way. It's turning orange, so you got to quit. You got to be quick. Um, last week, Pastor Angela made a really profound point. She said our gifts aren't designed to be on our, work on ourselves. Um, and I think, like this past week, uh, it liberally liberated me to ask for help and ask for prayer. So I just really thankful for the church coming alongside of me and just in my community group praying for me and the prayer team just praying for me. Amen. Amen. Listen. I want some of you guys to know this morning as we were praying because we know that there are some of you attend regularly on Sundays and you don't feel connected you feel isolated you still feel like a stranger you still feel like and we just prayed for you I'm going to talk about some of this today but we prayed that what you heard some people share this morning is what you would encounter and experience Because we care about you and we want you to know and experience what God intended for the church. We do, really do. Um, I really thank those of you that continue to bring your friends. I also want to thank those of you that continue to bring your friends who are not Christian. If you're not a Christian here today, what we're talking about is so important. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Okay? So let's just jump right in, shall we? Yeah? Okay. So... Uh, a guy named Luke wrote two volumes in the New Testament. He was a doctor. He wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. The book of Luke is part of the four books in the New Testament called the Gospels, where it chronicles the life and ministry of Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, the second volume, this is how Luke opens the book of Acts. Check this out. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And there is a powerful sort of bomb of a truth in, in that verse right there that sometimes we gloss over. And by the way, if you were with us through the book of Acts sermon series for like three years, you know where we're going with this, right? What Luke's saying there is this. He says, look, the book of Luke, my first volume, I wrote about all that Jesus did, began to do and to teach and his life and ministry. And then he says, in the book of Acts, he writes about, in the inverse series, the continuation of the life and ministry of Jesus. 
But of course, the book of Acts doesn't chronicle the life and ministry of Jesus. It chronicles the life and ministry of who? The church. So for three years, we spent time talking about how Jesus, while he was on earth, was the physical, in his physical body, did the ministry of God. And in the book of Acts, God the Holy Spirit is telling us that God, Jesus, is still doing ministry, no longer in his physical body, but in his representative body called the The church is the body. The church is the physical, tangible medium. The church has been created by God to continue what Jesus began to do and teach. Let me ask you something. Is that important? That means if the church isn't doing what Jesus began to do and teach, then how does what Jesus began to do and teach get done? How does what Jesus began to do and teach, which is what? We've been talking about this, Ephesians 1. His work of death and resurrection was to bring all things together, was to restore, renew everything. A relationship with God, a relationship with each other, and all of creation. That's the ministry that began, Jesus began to do and teach. And when he was here on earth in his physical body, they were able to see Jesus and see the work that God is ultimately up to, restoring, renewing everything. As he forgave sins, taught, healed, fed the hungry. As he did all these things, cast out demons, people were able to see what God was up to. Jesus now says, the people who continue this work of showing the world what I began to do and teach is the church. We are the sign and the agent of what God is up to in the world. The world is supposed to see us and see who? Jesus. The world is supposed to see us and see Jesus And the work that he began to do. How does the world see that what Jesus began to do is to restore the human community? By looking at the restored relationships in the church. How does the world see that what Jesus did when he died and rose again was to restore all things, new heaven and new earth. So there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more injustice. As the church moves out of its four walls. And begins to address issues of injustice, suffering, and death. Do you see how important that is? We are the body of Christ. We are the medium. Now, can you be a body by yourself? Can you be a body by yourself? That's where we're going today. You're not a body by yourself. Okay? The body of Christ has many parts, as we see today in 1 Corinthians 12. The body of Christ. You're called the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you're not the body of Christ alone. The body of Christ is all of us together. And boy, so have you wondered why the church in America struggles in its witness to the watching world? Maybe it has nothing to do with the fact that you and I alone individually are not good witnesses. Maybe it's what we're doing corporately together. Or what we're not doing corporately together. Uh, This this teaching that we are the body of Christ is all over the New Testament in many, many places. And I would argue it's the primary metaphor that the New Testament uses of what the church is, the body of Christ. A couple verses out of many, but Colossians 1.18, Christ is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the first one from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Ephesians 1.22. And he has put all things together under his feet and made him head over everything for the church, which is his body. Everybody say body. Body. Of Christ. Body. Body. Of Christ. I am not. A body alone. What? 
I sound like Jesse Jack. I sound like Jesse? I sound like Jesse Jackson? Of all people, Michael, you had to choose Jesse? Okay, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's like a 30-second background of 1 Corinthians. Who wrote it? Paul. Who did he write to? Church in Corinth, right? City of Corinth. By the way, it's one of the oldest letters in the New Testament. It's written right around 50 AD. It's around 20 years after the death of Christ, death and resurrection of Christ. And, the, and here's some things you need to know about the Corinthian culture, which prompted the Korean church. Korean. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip, because I'm going to be talking about the messed up church. The messed up church. The Corinthian church, not the Korean church. The Korean church is a mess, bro, sisters. But I ain't going to talk about my people today, okay? The Corinthian church. The city of Corinth was located in southern Greece, and its location was a prime location for travelers and for traders moving west to east across the Mediterranean Sea. As a result, the city of Corinth was a hotbed of economic opportunity in the rest of the Roman Empire. So there are three things that characterize the city of Corinth and the city of uh, uh, Church of Corinth. Number one, the city of Corinth was characterized by rampant individualism. Why? Unlike the rest of the Roman Empire, where in the rest of the Roman Empire, what you die pretty much determined how you're going to live. In other words, if you were born in poverty, you would die in poverty. city of Corinth was a little bit different. Why? It gave people who were born into poverty an opportunity economically. If you worked hard enough, pulled yourself by the bootstraps, networked well enough, you could succeed. So as a result, there was this mentality and a culture in the city of Corinth that said, hey, I can do it. Hey, if I worked hard enough. Hey, if I have enough business acumen. Does that sound familiar? Rampant individuals. Secondly, multiculturalism. The city of Corinth, because of its economic opportunity, had people from everywhere. Class, socioeconomic class, ethnically, racially, culturally, religiously, everywhere. So the city of Corinth was multicultural. And when the church of Corinth was formed, all the people from the city of Corinth, representing different economic, racial, cultural differences, got together. And by the way, the church in Corinth lacked a strong leader, as, we'll, as, as Paul outlines. And so you have no leader. People from incredibly diverse backgrounds put together in one church. The third problem with the church was hyper-spiritualism. Hyper the church of Corinth was the most spiritually gifted of the churches we could see. Why? Some of the primary teachings about spiritual gifts come from this church. But the church was an absolute utter mess. Absolute utter mess. It had incredible spiritual gifts, prophecy, healing, all these things. And yet the church was incredibly mature. A dude in the church is sleeping with his stepmother. A dude in the church is taking another Christian to court and suing him. I mean, those are some of the things that Paul mentions. The church is utterly... And people with the more miraculous gifts in the church were basically treating those with the non-miraculous gifts like second-class citizens. So you got all this stuff together. Result, the church was incredibly diverse and yet incredibly torn, strife, divided, conflict. So Paul writes this letter and in 2 Corinthians 12. He tells them, about what a church is. And he uses one of his favorite metaphors, which is the body. First Corinthians 12, verse 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Paul makes five points here. We're going to go straight through them. One, there is diversity in the body. Everything about your body. Paul's argument. Everything about your body. How many of you guys are in fitness? We have a bunch of schlugs in our church. <laughs> right, five people raise their hand. I exercise. What? The rest of y'all. Good Lord. <laughs> the psalmist says that we're fearfully, wonderfully made. I did some research. Did you guys know that we have over 200 bones in our bodies? 200 bones. 650 skeletal muscles and 210 cell types. And by the way, right now my wife is rolling her eyes going, there he goes again. 
She's a doctor, by the way, for those of you that don't know. So every time I talk about, like, doc biology, so on and so forth, she goes, goodness gracious. <laughs> There's incredible complexity. By the way, does anybody know what the largest muscle in the human body is? Largest muscle. Muscle. Doctors, what's the largest muscle? The heart. Is that true? I don't know how this is degenerate. Like, okay, digress into some biological. Okay, there's incredible diversity in the human body. Let's look at our new community church right here. Here at New Community, did you know we have people with PhDs? We have people who haven't even graduated from high school. Here at New Community, we have people who are incredibly wealthy, and we have people who are broke. Here at New Community, we have representatives from just about every racial, ethnic group in the United States. Here at New Community, we have people who are saved as young, young children and don't ever not remember being a Christian. And we have people in our church who got saved while shooting heroin in their eyes. Here at this church, we have Democrats. And here at this church, we have Republicans. Some of you are like, wah! Yes. <laughs> we have Republicans. And, I, and they love Jesus, just like you. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> we have people from every... The, we have people from just about every single racial, economic, social code. It, there's, there's tremendous diversity here. Does anybody ever just marvel at that? See, you guys take this for granted, man. You guys take this for granted. You just walk in and just kind of go, oh, well, you don't understand. Okay, I'm going to get to that moment. Secondly, there's unity within diversity in the body. There's unity within diversity in the body. It's absolutely incredible how the human body works. If you've ever been sick, and I've been sick for the last three, four weeks, you realize in light of the incredible complex diversity of the body, how everything has to work perfectly for the human body to function. I mean, my wife and I learned this the hard way like a year and a half ago when our baby girl was diagnosed with ITP. And, and what it is essentially, her blood cells not working properly. And, and, and I just thought, well, we take that for granted. We have blood cells? We have blood cells? Okay. And they, they like supposed to work. Yeah. And when they don't work together, your own body fights against your own body. And Paul uses this analogy to say, in, in light of this incredible diversity in the body, there's incredible uni there, unity. There's incredible harmony. And according to Paul, he says this. He says, we've all baptized into Christ's body by one spirit, and we're given one spirit to drink. What's he saying? He's saying, in, in, in light of this incredible diversity that's represented the body of Christ, people from every single background, he says there's oneness. Now, check this out. This is what Paul is trying to get across. Paul is saying that our unity comes not because we're the same, but because we share the same spirit and the same Lord. How many of you would love it if we were all the same? Don't lie. I know you do. I do. You know why? It would be a heck of a lot what? Easier. And yet Paul says, in this incredible diversity, there's incredible unity. So apparently, check this out, unity is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? Unity is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. But with the Holy Spirit, Paul says, unity is not only possible, but it is the natural, inevitable result of following the leading of God and the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how often I get people especially non-Christians, who after service will come to me and go, how is this possible? I go, I know. Because if it wasn't for Jesus, we'd be all killing each other. Can anybody else say, yeah? You know why? Because the diversity here in terms of where we come from, it will lead to division. And division will lead to conflict. And conflict will lead to all kinds of prejudice and sin. We'd be at each other's throats. Why? That's how it works out in the world. You live in a city where people are geographically separated by landmarks. Do you realize that? I'm telling you, you all take this for granted. But here's what Paul is saying. Here's what happens in the body of Christ. You're the body, part of the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. Listen, 
He's the head, you're part of the body. Which means if he's your head, he's your Lord. Which means if he's your Lord, you're yielded to him and you're following him. And if he's my head, I'm yielded to him and I'm following him. So if you and I, Jesus is our head, we're part of his body and we're yielded to him, following him, at some point we're going to come together under his lordship. See, the real question is, is he our Lord? And by the way, this works for any other relationship, right? Ladies, don't ask, is he a Christian? Ask, is Jesus his Lord? Is Jesus his Lord? Do you know why? No relationship, no capital N-O relationship will work unless Jesus Christ is your Lord. Because that's the only way both of you are yielded to him, submitted to him, and pursuing him together. Show me a marriage that's healthy, and I'll show you a marriage where Jesus Christ is Lord. Show me a marriage that's dysfunctional, and I will show you one person whose Lord is his own ego, his own ambition, his own agenda. If he is Lord, and you're part of his body, he's our head. And if he's our head, then the body Body, submitted, yielded to him, comes together. When the Holy Spirit is evident at work, there is unity. And the unity in the church, you guys, witnesses the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is big enough to love a diversity of people, change them with the gospel, bring them together in one family without them losing their distinction. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? How, we take this for granted, but Jesus didn't. Because in John 17, he looks out 2,000 years later to new community coming to church. He looks at disciples present and disciples future. And he says, Father, I pray that they may be one. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus Christ says the power of the gospel will not change anything until the church in its life together displays the power of the gospel. That's why to me, two things have done more harm to the witness of Christ. And I don't think it's single Christians or individual Christians being back. To me, the greatest witness, testimony that's been harmed in the church in America is number one, individual Christians thinking they can do it alone. To me, that's done more harm. Secondly, it's this failure of churches demonstrating to the rest of the world. How is that possible, Jesus? I'm from the Korean church, grew up in the Korean church. If Korean church or Korean people get all together, get along, it ain't no big deal to the world. They go, y'all supposed to do that. Y'all look like, act like, talk like. Y'all same. You're supposed to do that. But when Korean folk in this church don't just sit next to, but get involved in deep relationships of community with people of other race and culture, the watching world stands up and goes, how y'all doing that? I've said to you all along, and I'm going to continue to say it. Are you just sitting next to each other, or are you a family? <sighs> One other real quick thing before we go on. And I've been saying that salvation brings you intimacy with God, but also brings you into community with others. And that's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. Look, from a New Testament perspective, the idea of being a solo Christian is absolutely unintelligible. The idea that you can go it alone, that's like an arm cut off from the body going, look at me, I can do it by myself. It's a dismembered part of your body. That's Paul's point. I don't need anybody. I can be a Christian on my own. Then you've created your own religion. Because Christianity says you're a part of the body. And as part of the body, you could function by yourself as much as a part of your body could function dismembered from the rest of your body. I mean, this is so ridiculous and plain. Like, I feel, I feel silly preaching it. It's like, what else needs to be said? Are you an arm that's detached from your body? Well, you're dead then. 
If you belong to Christ, can I use one more analogy? If you belong to Christ, the Bible says you're married to his body. We're the bride of Christ, right? Can you imagine me and Jenny standing at our altar? And the pastor goes, do you take this man to be your awfully wedded husband? And Jenny goes, I'll take him. I love him, but I don't want his body. To which I'd be like, you don't want this. What? <laughs> no, just kidding. Can you imagine standing at the altar? I'm serious. Come on, come on, come on. Sorry for that analogy. Like, the rest of you are like, I can't pay attention now. He's so stupid. I know I'm stupid. Just, can you imagine? I'm serious. I'm trying to bring it down to a level where you go, that is so stupid. Ridiculous, Peter. It is. Can you imagine being at the altar with somebody and going, I want him, but I don't want his body? When you're married, the Bible says there's co-ownership of the body. Your body is not yours alone. Your wife, your husband shares that body. How can you say you've been married to Christ as your Lord and say, but I don't want his body? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't claim to have a covenant relationship with him and not be joined to his body. This is foreign to New Testament. It's foreign to Scripture. It's foreign to the Christian life as God designed it. This isn't my opinion. This is God's Word. All right, let's keep going. Verse 14. Can one of you guys throw that? Anthony, can you throw that water over, over to me? Right there, yeah, yeah. Verse 14. Now, I'm going to read the rest of this long text, okay, because he makes essentially like one big argument and then some point. So let's go ahead and read. Verse 14. Like I said, this like preaches itself. I don't know why I need to make comments about it. Even so, the body is not made up of many, but, but one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's a hard time talking because it's your foot, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That's right. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were one part, where would the body be? As it is, verse 20, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I'll need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, and I certainly don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, oh, this is huge, every part suffers. Is that our church? When somebody's hurting, you hurt. I'll get to that at the end. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. So here's Paul's big point, and we're getting subpoints. You have a role to play in the body. Everybody say, you have a role to play in the body. Listen, to be saved as a Christian is not just about you benefiting something. Oh, man, I can't tell you how frustrated I get when so many people think Christianity is about I get saved from hell and I can go to heaven. The Bible says it's not just about you benefiting something. It's about you being called to a vocation. To be saved as a follower of Christ is to be given a job description, is to be given an assignment a role to play in the body. That's what it means to belong to the body of Christ. The Bible says the Spirit distributes every single one as he determines. That means everybody has been empowered by the Spirit. Everybody has been given a gift. And everybody in Greek means everybody. 
Everybody. You have a gift to share. You have a role to play in the body of Christ. By the way, does this encourage anybody? Do you know why? When you walk out of this room, listen, when you walk out of this room, do you know what the world says is about your worth and your value? Where's it found? How attractive are you? How smart are you? What's your bank account like? What's your letters at the end of your name? That's what the world says. Your value and your worth comes up. In the kingdom of God, God says, total inversion. In the kingdom of God, I don't work in that economy. In the kingdom of God, despite your education, race, ethnicity, culture, every single one of you is valuable, critical. And I've given you a gift. If that doesn't make you go, wow, that's what it means to be a part of the body. Tremendous. You have a gift and a role to play that nobody else can play. I've been continuing to say this. You're a snowflake. You're a fingerprint. There are people with your name written on it in here, your name written on it out there that nobody else can do but you. But you. Every single person has tremendous worth because God says you have something to give that nobody else can but the challenge is is the idea that you can be listen a non-participating part of a church body is crazy can I say this again if you're a Christian I know you and I went to church in America but according to the Bible to be a non-participating member like I come I go I don't do a single thing is foreign to New Testament Question, question, is the word volunteer in the Bible? The word volunteer does not occur in the Bible. Because when you become a Christian, he becomes your Lord, and you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I hate that word, volunteer. Because it makes you think that you have an option on whether you do this or not. And the Bible says, you don't. I don't. We're disciples of Jesus, not volunteers. Does this resonate with anybody? Clap if it does. We are not volunteers. We are not volunteers. We are not volunteers. I hate that word, but we use it because for now. Because it's the only way to get across. We need your help. I think personally, if we got rid of the church in, the, in any church, the word volunteer, people would realize I'm a disciple of Jesus. And to be a non-participating person is ludicrous in the New Testament. It's foreign to Scripture. It's so important to play it. Listen, listen. It's so important that you participate. Why? Again, going back to the body analogy, think about it. If you're sitting on your gift, the Bible says the whole church suffers. There's something unnatural going on. If you're sitting on your gift and doing nothing, there's something unnatural going on. It diseases the whole body. That scares the you-know-what out of me. Because I'm looking out and going, that means if there are many of you that don't get it, that the entire corporate body would be affected by it. And the answer in the New Testament is yes. Is yes. You know, the feeling is like, when your leg falls asleep, anybody know what I'm talking about? When you've been sitting for a while, right? And the leg doesn't want to work because it feels like not part of the body. Can you walk? Every member needs to step up or the whole body suffers. And can I just say this? It's not just that the church needs you. You need the church. Because if you want to be a vibrant kingdom person who is filled with the Spirit and experiencing and encountering God, then you need to get up and say, what's my gift? I'm an arm. Okay, I'm an arm. What happens to that arm when you don't use it? It atrophies and withers and dies. Some of y'all are arms sitting there going, I've been sitting on. Oh, you mean I got to move? Yeah, you got to move. Why? When that arm doesn't function the way it's supposed to, 
becomes weaker, atrophies, eventually dies. Listen, there are some of you, church after church, church shopping, going back and forth, or you have constant roller coasters, spiritually up, spiritual down. Now, all of us could relate to some level of that, but I guarantee you this. If there's some of you who've been floating in and out of a church community, floating in and out, when I feel like it, when I don't, when I feel like it, when I don't, I guarantee you, I guarantee, I don't even need to know you. I can look at what your past 10 years of spiritual life has been like, and I guarantee you, it's either a roller coaster. Why? It's not just about you being alone with God. It's about are you functioning in a body like you're supposed to? Some of you have spiritually atrophying, spiritually decaying, whether you know it or not. And what you may need to jumpstart your spiritual life, not for everybody, but some of you, jumpstart your spiritual life is to get that arm that you are that's just been dead, that's just come and going, and do anything to begin to get some blood flowing there, begin to move, realizing that you have a role that the Spirit has empowered you to play. You have a role to play in the body. It's not just about, well, the church. It's you need the church. Spirit of God, you have to do this work because I can't. Fourth, there is interdependence in the body interdependence in the body this entire section verses 14 on paul's talking about spiritual gifts and essentially he boils down the interdependence part by saying be careful of these three things when it comes to spiritual gifts okay three things first be careful of the danger of gift ignorance everybody say gift ignorance you know what gift ignorance is it's a foot saying i'm not an arm Nah. So I'm not a part of the body. It's your ear saying, I'm not a part of the head. So, eh. You know what it sounds like? You know what it sounds like? It sounds like somebody going, I can't do anything. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any abilities. I can't sing like that. I can't preach like that. I can't, I can't do any of those things. There's no use for me. If you're thinking like that this morning, listen. Please listen. That thought is in total contradiction to what we just read. Somebody who's in here, I don't, I, you know, I can't do anything. I don't, I don't have any gifts. I have nothing to contribute. That is in total contradiction to what we just read, which is everybody has a gift. So if you're sitting there this morning going, I got nothing to do. I can't do it like that. I can't. I, if you're sitting there this morning thinking that on the authority of God, I want to tell you that that thought is a lie. And on the authority of God, I want to tell you that that was a lie. And its source is the pit of hell. And its source is the father of lies from that pit of hell that's telling you, you nothing. You can't do anything. Who do you think you are? It is a lie from the pit of hell. So on the authority of God, rebuke it. Rebuke that thought. Because on the authority of God, I can tell you, not my opinion, you have a gift and a special contribution to make to the body. So anybody sitting out there going, well, I can't do anything. That is a life from the father of lies who wants to keep you atrophying and decaying. Scripture says that it doesn't matter your education, your bank account. It doesn't matter what your mama said to you, what your daddy said to you. Like, you're dumb. You can't do anything. I know some of you sitting there going, I've been so influenced by what people have said in terms of my self-worth. I can't. I am on the authority of God. You are worth that to this body. He paid that for you and me. Well, I'm not anything. Rebuke that thought. God is telling you you have a vital role to play. And by the way, we get into this mode because we compare ourselves to other people. That's what Paul is confronting here. We bring our worldly mindset into the church. Why? Because out in the world, you and I, starting Monday, boom, compare. Nah, I'm better than you. Nah, I'm better than you. Nah, we compare. Why? We have to either feel superior to somebody or we can't stand ourselves. That's the sinful human nature. So we bring this comparison game into the church and we go, 
uh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't. Uh, I'm not that important. I can't. Comp-. And God says, I have designed the body just as I wanted it to be. And you, it's not about what you can't, can't do up front. It's you have a role to play that nobody else can play. Here's the other thing I've, I, I, I find people struggling with. Some people think that they're too damaged to contribute to the body. Because of past sins. Because of what they've done in the past. Some of you are sitting in here this morning. You're going, Peter, I know that I have a gift, but man, you, if you only knew what I've done, I'm going to speak to you. Listen to me for a moment. I'm the authority of God. I'm going to tell you right now. Whatever the accuser would say to you, whatever the lies, the sexual things, whatever the lust, whatever the money, greed, whatever the injustice, whatever what you've done, if you are in Christ, Jesus Christ says, on the right hand of the Father, I pay for that. I paid for that, and he's mine. And he stands holy, blameless, and righteous with a gift to contribute to the body. We learn from our past, but we don't live in regret of the past because in God's economy, right now, is the forever present in his kingdom. That's why the Bible says his mercies are what? New every morning. If you're in Christ, God says, I don't care about past sins. There's some people going, I've been divorced. That disqualifies from children's ministry. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Peter, I've done all these other things. I'm telling you right now on the authority of God. The gospel says he wipes the slate clean. And the gospel says, today, right now, you have a role to play that nobody else can. And then there's some of you who are like, uh, I'm still wounded. I'm still struggling. Yeah, there's time to rest in the sling. But just know you can't stay in that sling forever. At some point, that sling has to get removed. And at some point, that arm will have to begin exercising or it will atrophy and die. There's time to rest and there's time to heal. And I know many of you come to our church broken, hurting, and messed up. And we want you to know, we want this to be a safe, holy place where you can come and rest, come and be healed. But at some point, for your sake, not for ours, but for your sake, we want you to get up and go, okay, got to start moving. I got to start moving. If we love you, we'll tell you, dude, you've been in that sling for like ever. And your arm is like that big. Get that sucker going. Get it going. Get in the game. Everybody has a role to play. Second danger that Paul warns about is the danger of gift envy. Now, I personally don't think our church struggles with this. I think there's like four people that struggle with this. Yeah, I think. You tell me, okay? You tell me. I don't think our church struggles with this, but I'm going to tell you what I think it is. Well, gift envy. Gift envy is, verse 18, Paul says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And we have a tendency to forget that spiritual gifts are not always about what we want, but about what we've been given. People in Corinth and people still struggle with this. I don't think our church does. You tell me. People will say, well... I want that gift because that looks cool. That looks like something that I want to do, but I don't want to do that. God may have called me to do that, but I'd rather do that. So we get into this gift envy, gift jealousy thing, and we either sit on our gift and we go, oh, this isn't very important. I'm useless to this body. Or we begin to get envious and jealous of other people who are functioning in ways that God has called them to, and we get into this mode, thinking that we're gifted in areas where we're not. Can I illustrate it for you? Anybody a fan of American Idol? The first hours on American Idol is called the audition rounds. The audition rounds. And that's my favorite episodes. After that, I don't watch it. The audition rounds are people from all over the country who come, those of you that don't know, and sing. And they intentionally highlight people who are screeching out something that's scaring animals in the nearby area, right? And you're sitting there. I'm serious. You're watching that and you're going, oh, nobody loves him. Nobody loves him because if somebody loved him, they would have told him the truth. You said they're going, oh, oh, his mama don't love him. Because if mama loved him, she would have told him, son, you can't sing. (laughs) 
If somebody loved him, like his mama, his mama would have said, you can't sing. And yet they go, I could sing. I could sing. I have a karaoke machine at home. I'm practicing really hard. You want to go, you could sing Whitney until the cows come home, but you can't sing. Something else. Something else. Go to med school. Make that your dream, right? Do something else because you can't. And what do we do? What do we do? Some of us get into this mode of going, I want to do that. I wish I can do that. Failing to realize you have gifts that nobody else can do. This is ultimately about the gospel. This is why I constantly go back to that. Because you know why? If you're gifted in something and you know the gospel, there wouldn't be a hint of arrogance about you. Why? It has nothing to do with you. 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 God's humbled me many, many times. Just when I get a little big-headed like, oh, you think you're, God reminds me, come crashing down going, Peter, do you think you do what you do because you're smart? Do you think you do what you do because you're special? You do what you do what? Purely out of grace. And the flip side is some of us sitting there wouldn't go, well, if I only had that, if I... Because God's going, grace distributes every gift as he wanted them to be. And you have things that you can play that nobody else can. Gift envy. Now, let me be really clear. It doesn't mean that you don't grow in your spiritual gifts. Matter of fact, can I tell you something? I want to go back and like erase like 15 years of sermons I've preached. Because I, want to, I listen to it and I go, oh my gosh, was that me? First of all, I sound like, wait, 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 wait. If you would have heard me the first time I preached, you would have been like, ah, uh, oh, maybe you're doing that now actually. Like, oh, I want to get out of here. Why? It's taken me 20 years of working really hard at what I think is a gift that God has given me. Nobody jumps up and goes, I am where I need to be. We all need to grow. This isn't about that. This is somebody going, that's not my gift. That's not the area that God has called me to. This is. How do I grow in it? Third danger, real quick, is gift arrogance. Be careful of the gift arrogance. This is the part where Paul says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Listen, there's nobody sitting here this morning going, I don't need you. Actually, me like two of you going, I don't need you. Some of us think that. But this isn't outwardly going. But you know what we do? Here's a question for you. Is new community. Next slide, please. Are you disappointed that new community isn't more like Jesus or that new community isn't more like you? How many of y'all right now just the Holy Spirit went, ah! Anybody? Let's be honest. Let's see. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Nobody? Okay. Mm-hmm. This right here is hurting this body. You know what this mentality is? Here's what I get. I get a lot of people going, Pass oh, I'm so frustrated with new community. I'm so frustrated. And I listen to them. And you know what I hear? They're frustrated because not everybody is doing what they're gifted at. Not everybody's doing what they want to do. Are you disappointed the new community is more like Jesus, the body of Christ, or the new community is more like you? Did you know that before you all got here, people woke up at 6 in the morning to come and set things up so you could actually hear the sermon? Can I ask you something? When's the last time you thanked them? Did you know that there are men and women right now who serve in the children's ministry, places you can't even see, pouring out their hearts, pouring out their hearts to those men and women? Can I just, parents, parents, when's the last time you thanked the men and women who serve in children's ministry? Did you know that before any of you showed up, the people got here like at 8.39 in the morning and prayed for this service? Do you know that right now there's somebody counting all the money for offering? Do you know that during the week, generous men and women open their homes, open their homes for kind of teach the Bible? Do you know that during the week, men and women serve the homeless in our community? Do you know that there are diversity of gifts, passionate callings, men and women are all over the place? And yet, when gift arrogance takes into place, we look at that church and we go, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that. And we totally forget the work that men and women are doing that you don't like to do, you don't want to do, and you're not even gifted at doing. They'll just show up and go, I don't like that about this church. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where it came from. 
Or some of you go, I don't like that about this church. <laughs> and rarely is it something that's 99% of the time. So here's my question for you. Are you guilty of gift arrogance? Good Lord. Here's the second question, gift arrogance. Can you rehearse the blessings and benefits of new community as easily as our flaws and failings? Seriously, are you somebody who's just phenomenal at criticizing? You have the spiritual gift of judgmentalism. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You sit there going, oh my gosh, you are phenomenal at that. It just like naturally comes out of your mouth, every other word. It's like Jesse. Is what comes out of your mouth many times blessing or is it, is it criticism? Can you thank God for this church for what it is, even as you work hard to make it what it should be? Third question. Do you see others' faults more readily than your own? And the answer to this for every single one of us is... Is? Yes. Our church has a long, long way to go, no doubt. Every church has a long, long way to go. But so do you. So show some grace. And by the way, if you're, if you're one of those people that are going, yeah, I don't like this about our church. I don't like this about new community. You may have the spiritual gift of diagnosing what's wrong with it and the hole that's in it, and God sent you here to plug it. And you have one of two options. You could sit on the sidelines and go, that stinks, that stinks. By the way, which our generation? Awesome. Yeah. I hate the world. What are you doing about it? Nothing as I sip on my latte. If you are criticizing and doing nothing about it, I'm going to say it nicely and firmly. You have one of two options. You see a hole. You don't like something about our church. God called you to plug that hole. Get up and do something. Or can I get an Amen. Who in this room likes critical, judgmental people? Nobody. None of us likes people like that. And yet, why do we act like that? Why do we do that? My question to you, are you a free-floating mouth? You know what a free-floating mouth is? Those are the worst. They just come church to church. This thinks, that thinks. They're all filled with sinners and hypocrites. Well, then you'll fill it right in, won't you? We're all hypocrites and sinners. Come on in. Join us. Do something. Five, I end with this. In the body of Christ, there's mutual concern. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. How many of you have ever hit your thumb while trying to nail a nail? Trying to nail a nail. <laughs> Can you tell I don't do that often? Bruce, can you tell I don't do that often? Hammer a nail. That's why. One time I did. Bam! And is it just your thumb that hurts? See, this is so obvious. Is it your thumb that hurts? No. What else is involved? Your feet? Why? Oh, my God. What else is involved? Your eyes? <laughs> what else is involved? Some like me? My mouth, because I'm cursing like a sailor. It affects the whole body. And Paul says, when somebody is hurt, a healthy body is one in which other people will feel that. So when a young mom miscarries in this church, there are people who feel that. When someone's mom... When your friend's mom passes away of cancer... You feel that. When somebody loses their job, the body feels that. When one part suffers, the entire body suffers with it. And you know the thing about this passage, 
And believe it or not, it's this part that I wrestled the most with this week. Because this is nothing about making them feel better. You see? It says nothing about trying to make them feel better. It says if one part suffers, you suffer with it. And I realize it's a lot easier to try and help them and comfort them, you know? It's a lot harder to suffer with. Because I'd rather just help somebody and be on my way. But this is saying, no, you suffer with. You stay in the midst of their pain and you feel that. And oh, by the way, You'll never feel that for somebody who's suffering if you don't know them and they don't know you. You'll never feel what they feel if you haven't opened your heart to being vulnerable and being weak. Your heart will only suffer and ache to the extent that you have let yourself vulnerable and weak to that person. For many of us, we'll never suffer with because we live such tight, clammed up, closed up lives. And can I tell you something? If that's you, I could relate. Do you know why? This part right here, this isn't encouraging to me. Do you know why? Because it says, listen, it says, so if, it means that if you're suffering, that other people suffer with you, that's not good news for me. I don't like that. Do you know why? I like to suffer alone. I don't like other people suffering with me. I'm one of those people when I'm suffering, I'm like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. That's me. I hate being weak, being vulnerable. I hate coming across as I don't have it all together. I hate it. I hate it. I hate feeling it. And I even hate more admitting it to other people. And the thing that I realized this week is this. If I'm a part of the body, listen, and I'm suffering, and I'm in need, and yet I go, I'm part of this body, but I'm going to shut myself out. I'm actually hurting the body. Do you know why? Because if I'm in need and I don't tell anybody no, then how does that arm that's gifted to give, give to who's in need? If I'm hurting and I need prayer and yet let nobody knows and I pretend, then how does somebody who has the gift of prayer exercise their gift? If I'm discouraged and I am feeling disappointed and I can't do life, I feel like I can't get up for another morning, how does that person who is the gift of encouragement function and be strong? If I'm in need and somebody needs to give and yet I pretend that I'm strong and don't let anybody know, how does that person who is the gift of generosity function so that they would be strong and the whole body is made strong? By you and me saying, I don't want to burden anybody. We are hurting and destroying this body right here. So you know what? If you are not cursed like me with the need to pretend, I thank God for you. But if you are somebody sitting and going, I'm isolated, I'm alone, I don't want to make myself vulnerable, I don't want to tell anybody, you are hurting this body, not helping it. There are body parts in this church that need to function but can't function because you're too proud and arrogant to admit that you need help. And the only reason why you and I are arrogant is because we have not embraced the gospel to our depths. Do you realize I don't want to be weak You can't become a Christian without admitting that you're weak. I don't want to let somebody know I have a need. The beginning point of your Christian life is Jesus Christ. I need you. You say you're a Christian? You can't be a Christian without admitting that you're weak, that you're flawed. That you're scared. So let's stop pretending. We already know you're weak. We already know you're scared. We already know that you can't do it by yourself. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a Christian today, would you? So can we just let go of all the pretension and say, I need that arm. Where's that arm? Where's that arm? I need that arm. Giving, encouragement. Where's that arm? Oh, there you are. I didn't know you needed it. Yeah. Let me put my arms around you.
Church, are you hearing me? If the glory of God is revealed, if the glory of God is revealed, if the manifestation of the Spirit is revealed in the church, this is a big deal. If the way that the world comes to see tangible Jesus is through the church, this is a big deal. If it was not about manifesting the glory of God, if it had nothing to do with showing what Jesus is, this is a waste of time talking about it. But if God says, the primary way that I reveal my glory and who I am and what I'm up to in the world is through the church, this has biggest implications. I urge you, I plead with you. And I prayed for you this morning. If you are somebody who's sitting here and saying, I feel alone, I feel isolated, I don't want to be a part of this body, or I want to, but I'm scared. We pray for you this morning that you would do Take the next step. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. But that you would take the next step of saying, I need to get involved in a community of people to do life with. And I need to exercise my gifts that God has given me to serve, to contribute to the mission of this body. I love you so much that I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And I hate saying this, but I love you so much I'm going to say this. If you don't want to do that here, if you're like, nah, I don't want to do that here. I just want to come in here and preach. I just want to come and do the worship. If that's all you want to do, you're robbing yourself of what God designed you for. And you're robbing of our church of a valuable gift and resource. Find the church, if it's not this one, that you can do that at. 